We're in Matthew chapter 7, and we're looking at verses 3 through 5, and let's go ahead and read those. He says, And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? He says, verse 5, Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote uh, out of thy brother's eye. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the day. Thank you for the word uh, that we've had read this morning. Lord, I pray that your message would go forth today, that you would speak with boldness, and that you would speak through me, guide direct me to the words that need to be said. But God, I know that it's your word that will last forever, and I know that it's your spirit uh, that has the power to convict heart and to change lives. And God, if there's one here today uh, that needs to hear something from this message, needs to know what your will is about a certain thing in their life, I pray that you would reveal that will to them and that they would have a heart to do it. Help us to be obedient. Help us respond. And God, I pray, of course, that if there's anyone here this morning that does not know Christ as Savior, that they would be convicted of their sins as they have been exposed to the gospel, as they know uh, that salvation is not of self, it's not of religion, but, Lord, it's by faith and repentance towards Jesus Christ. I pray uh, that you would guide them to the decision to uh, trust you as Savior this morning. Thank you so much for every blessing that you shed upon us. Thank you for the freedom to meet in your house and worship you today. Lord, I pray that when we leave, we can say that we've truly met with God and that we truly worship God. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. This morning we're talking about the speck and the log. That's what Jesus uh, is talking about in these verses. And this is really an illustration of the point that he's already made in verses 1 and 2 where he says, Judge not, lest you be judged. And he says in verse 2, For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged, and with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. Last week we, spoke, we talked about judge not and what that means, and uh, we discussed the fact that there is a place for judgment. And, and there is a responsibility placed upon God's people to judge. But what we are dealing with is not just simple judgment. It's not judgment that is based upon God's Word or judgment that's based upon truly wanting to help others. This is a hypercritical type of judgment that tears you down and builds me up. And he says, do not do that. Because with the same magnifying glass that you put others under, you're going to be judged and you're going to be critiqued under that same microscope. And he says, in whatever measure of criticism you dump on others, he says the same measure is going to be dumped on you uh, right back. And so he, he warns us against this hypercritical judgment uh, that we love to cast on other people. And then in these verses today, in verses 3 through 5, what he does is he actually just illustrates the point that he has already made. But there is enough here in these verses that I want to spend today's message focused on uh, what Jesus is saying and how that applies to us and how it builds upon what he's already said in verses 1 and 2. Now I want to start off with a confession. Everybody's listening now. I saw a bunch of heads come up when I said that. Everybody wants to hear the, uh, the pastor confess. Right? I'll start out with a confession. Let me first of all confess that I am not a perfect person. I didn't want to amen on that. <laughs> but I'm just kidding. Uh, but I'm not. I'm not a perfect person, and I struggle. I struggle with myself. I struggle with sin, 
And if you don't want a pastor that struggles with self or sin, then go find a pastor that doesn't struggle with self or sin. But, but I do. And this past week, God was dealing with me on some things uh, about this. And I was actually working on this message, studying out these verses and doing some, some meditating on what Jesus was talking about here. And every once in a while when I get to a certain point in study, I, I don't feel like I can cram anything else in. And so I'll just kind of sit back and, and take a breather. And that's what I did. I sat back and I decided, well, I'll, I'll go make a little tweet. And uh, so I went, went on Twitter and tweeted something. And, and uh, while I was on there, I saw, uh, I saw through my, my Twitter feed, I saw that there was an interview that had been posted. You could click on this link and it took you to a, an interview. And this was with a, a, a Christian musician that I really liked, uh, that, that I, I have a lot of respect for. And, and, uh, and so I went to this interview and I, was, I just couldn't wait. I, I was ready to be blown away. And uh, this Christian artist was having an interview with, uh, with a secular radio station. So th these were not Christians at all. Uh, but they were interviewing this, this Christian artist. And so they began asking him questions. And, uh, you know, I was ready just to, to see him, you know, draw the line and stand on one side of it and, and all this. And the more that I listened, the, the more blurry that line became. And, and uh, I just really got messed up over this. I, you know, I, like I said, I had a lot of respect. Uh, but there was just, uh, there was no line drawn. And there were some issues that they brought up that, I, you know, I felt like it would be better for, if he had taken a stand on one side or the other. Uh, but, but that didn't happen. And there were some times that uh, he just kind of, you know, him hauled around the, the, the answer and things like that. And, man, I, I just really, I, I was just overcome by this. Just very, very disappointed uh, in, in this artist because of uh, the, the stand or, or lack of a stand that he took on this station. You know, this was an opportunity. Uh, there's, there's lots of non-Christians out there, and this is an opportunity to, uh, to draw a line. And so, man, I really got messed up. So I, I just stopped the video. I have not even watched this anymore. And I had to go do something, and so I, I got in the car, and, and I had to run an errand, and I, I'm in this car, and I'm just, I just, I was talking to myself. Anybody ever talk to themselves? I'm just like, I'm just, I'm just upset. I am just, I, I, I don't understand this. This bothers me. And I'm talking to God. You know, I'm sure somebody's walking, they're hoping somebody else is in the car with me because I, I'm talking out loud to God. I'm just like, God, why? Why? You know, and, and I, I went and ran this errand. I'm on my way back, and, and, uh, and I'm still, I, I just can't get it out of my mind. It's just, I mean, it is eating away at me. It's, it's upsetting me. I decided I'm, not, I'm never going to listen to a, a song from this guy again, and, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm done. And then a still, small voice reminded me that I had just been studying verses that said, why are you worried about the speck that's in your brother's eye when there's a giant moat that I've been dealing with you about in your own eye? And I just said, yes, sir. <laughs> I, I get it. Okay, I'm, so, I'm done. I'm sorry. And I knew at that moment that this had to be brought out in this message. I had just studied these verses, and I had just been tested with this principle and right off the bat, I was ready to cast judgment and be done with this, I believe, a brother in Christ. I was done because I found fault with some things that he said or did not say. And yet God had been struggling 
with me to get me to understand that there are some things that I'm not doing in my life. There are some areas that I haven't drawn a clear line, that I haven't decided to stand on one side of the fence or the other, that I've been blurring that line. And he says, How, who are you to judge him? When there is clearly fault in your own life. Don't we love to use the downfalls of others as a stepping stool for our own self-righteousness? We all do it, or we have done it. Here Jesus teaches that there is both a right and a wrong way to approach the faults of others. I want you to pay attention to what's being said today because this is a place where we are all tempted. It is a place where we all falter and we are very quick. It's human nature. We're very quick to point fingers at others and not notice the four that are pointed back at ourselves. Amen. And I want you to listen to what Jesus says today and if he points some fingers at you, remember that he's sinless, number one, that he has the right to judge, number two, and that he is the king, number three, so you better obey whatever it is that he says. I want us to look at this just, we'll, we'll take three different approaches to this. First of all, we're going to look at the illustration here. And so before we jump into the illustration itself, let's take a moment to understand the two words that are used here. If you look with me in verse 3 of chapter 7, it says, uh, Why do you behold the moat, that's the first word, that is in your brother's eye, but consider not the beam, that's word number two, that is in your own eye. I want us to look at what these two words are, just, just so that we have a clear definition. I looked up the word moat, and uh, a moat was not the body of water that stands between land and a castle. Did y'all know that? It's not something filled with alligators, and uh, that's what I thought a moat was. But a moat is evidently means a speck of wood or a particle of wood. It, it's a speck or a splinter. Anybody ever got a splinter before? We've had splinters, and they are irritating early night. Um, a moat is a speck or a splinter, and the moat was really equivalent to a piece of sawdust. And so when he says the moat that is in your brother's eye, we're not talking, we're talking about something that is substantially small. This is something that is tiny. It's something that would be an irritation, but it would not be a danger to that person. A particle that is large enough to irritate, but not injure. Then he comes back and he says, but you're not paying attention to the beam that is in your own eye. Now, what a beam is, is this. A beam is a log. Or a plank. It could be said that, that it's a rafter or a cross beam. If you've ever been in, in carpentry. A rafter or a cross beam. In other words, this is a large log of wood. And so he makes this comparison between a tiny splinter or a shaving of, uh, of sawdust and a large plank or log uh, that is sticking out of your own eye. Now, the mental Im imagery here is hilarious because the whole scene is completely absurd. I mean, as we try to picture this in our own mind, I'm sure we have from time to time, we, we try to picture what this would look like. How could someone have a large, injurious plank of wood stuck in their eye and not notice it? How could anyone walk around with a log 
poking out of their eye and, and pay no attention to it whatsoever. I mean, that's, it's just absurd. You would whack that thing on everything that you, every time you turn or try to go through a door or, or what, I mean, it, it would, it, it, there would be problems everywhere that you went. How could someone have such a plank or such a log sticking from their own eye and yet at the same time be concerned about a speck of sawdust in someone else's eye? It is an absurd idea. I want you to imagine a friend walking up to you and there is this huge rafter poking out of his eye. And he comes up to you and you begin having a conversation and, and you notice that with his good eye, he's looking at you closer and closer and, and you see him ticking every once in a while and, 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 and finally you're just like, what is it? And he says, I'm sorry, but you got something in your eye that is just driving me crazy. Now, if you'll, if you'll hold my eye log here for a second... I'll use my good eye and my free hands to help remove this piece of sawdust from your eye. And, I, and can you imagine looking back at this person and going, are you crazy? I mean, what are you talking about? Do you not notice that there is a huge log sticking out of your eye? And you want to help me with a speck in my own eye, I, I think you've got some things to take care of yourself, right? Why don't you let me help you with that first, and then we'll talk about my sawdust. And, I mean, the whole idea, it is really absurd. Don't worry. I'm an expert. I get that. Now, the illustration is, is absurd for a reason. Because it is equally as crazy for us to obsess over and insist on helping others fix their problems when we have crippling faults and issues of our own. I mean, I think Jesus wanted this illustration to be just outlandish, to, to be just as ridiculous as possible, because what he's saying here is that it is just as ridiculous for you to have issues in your own life to start pointing fingers at others. There's no, you have no right to make judgment on the lives of others or to help the lives of others until your own issues are taken care of. Now that leads us to the explanation in verses 3 and 4. He says there, as we've read, he says, Why do you behold the mote that is in your brother's eye, but not consider the beam that is in your own eye? Or how will you say to your brother, Let me pull out the mote out of your eye, and behold, a beam is in your own eye? Now first we find in verse 3 that Jesus deals with Number one, the way that we look at the faults of others. He says, why do you behold? The word behold means to look. And it goes along with that hypercriticism that Jesus spoke about in verses 1 and 2. How is it that you can look, that you can examine and focus on uh, these small issues in the lives of others? How many of you have ever seen a piece of dirt in, uh, or something in someone's eye and it, it just drives you crazy? You ever been there? Somebody's talking to you, and every time that eyeball moves around, you just, you know, you're just cringing, and, and you're like, how can you live with that in your eye? Come on, get that thing out. And it just drives you crazy. I've been there every time my kids wake up. I'm there. I'm like, do something about it now. Go to the bathroom. Look in the mirror. 
Likewise, we have all seen something in the life of someone else that just drives us crazy. Something that we view as irritating. It, it bothers us. And maybe the concern here is not that it's bothering them, but it bothers us so much. It, it becomes such an irritation. Every time that we see them, every time that we think about them, we just get more and more and more obsessed about their issues. Why aren't they as faithful as they should be? Why don't they come to church as much as they should come? Why don't they read their Bible? Why don't they walk with God? Why don't they talk to others about their faith? Why do they do this? Why do they do that? And we just obsess and obsess and obsess about the issues of others. Here Jesus seems to be calling into question the reason why we insist on placing others under such critical microscopes. It's as if Jesus is saying, why do you stare at the speck in his eye and you don't even consider, don't even consider the plank that's in your own eye? Why do you obsess over those little faults in your neighbor, but you don't give a second thought to your own problems? You're so sensitive to the issues of others and the mistakes that they make, but you have become numb. You feel nothing about the, your own issues. You feel nothing about the, the great obstacles that you place in your own life. Why are you so apathetic towards your sin? Jesus not only deals with our critical attitudes, but he also deals with our corrective actions against others as well. Now, if you'll pay attention, verse 3 has to do with us thinking and obsessing over the, the problems of others. Those are the times that we're thinking it, but maybe we don't say anything. You know, It drives us crazy, and we smile on the outside, but we're cringing on the inside, and we're judging on the inside, and it, this is how we look or think about others. But the second one is, is that's when we go to help that person. Now, eventually, if you stare at something in somebody's eye long enough, and you cringe long enough, you're eventually going to take action to try to help that person out, right? Let me give you some advice on how to fix your problem. <laughs> we all do it. Or we, or either we've done it or we've gotten that advice before. Why do we insist on offering advice and wise counsel to others when we're just as messed up as they are? Here. I see that you have an issue with your marriage. I've been married for a long time. Now, my wife and I, we don't speak to each other. We never communicate. Nobody ever knows what's going on with the other person. We fight all the time. Uh, we can't stand being in the same room with each other. But if you'll listen to me, I've got some, some great wisdom on how to, to build your marriage and, and how to have a better marriage. Anybody ever gotten advice from somebody like that? And you're sitting there going, I have been at your house. Don't talk to me about marriage, okay? Or they look at your kids, you know, and you say, man, you know, I, I have an issue with one of my kids, and I, I don't know, they're just, every time that something happens, they're just doing this and that and the other. And, and it, your kids are demons, but you look at them, you tell them, oh, oh, hey, I know what to do. Now, if you'll do this and you'll do this and you, you've got to set those boundaries and you've got to discipline your children and you've got to do this and you've got to do that, if you'll do all that, your kids will be wonderful. And you're, you're saying, I know who your children are. 
Okay? Don't tell me how to raise my children. Somebody's got problems with finances, and you're like, oh, I can sit down and show you how to do a budget. Right, let me give you some ideas on finances. And you're saying, weren't you borrowing 20 bucks from me the other week? Why are you talking to me about this? But that's what we do. We, we love to get our hands in. We love to, to feel like we've got the advice and we've got the answers and, and we're going to fix the world and we're going to help everybody with their problems, but we can't help ourselves with our own problems. We are experts at handling the problems of others. We are helpless at handling our own. Let me give you two quick reasons why we do this. And I want you to understand that these are not going to be reasons that you never thought of. These reasons are obvious to everybody except you. You know this about other people, but you don't know this about yourself. Two reasons why we do this. Number one, because focusing on and fixing the problems of others helps me to feel better about my own problems. When I can think about you, when I can focus on your faults, when I can complain and gripe and moan and groan about all the stuff that you're doing wrong, then it helps me to overlook this huge issue that's in my own life. I can look at you and, and I can say, well, they don't show up to church on Sunday. And when I obsess over that, it makes me feel better about the fact that I have no spiritual relationship with God that I'm not any closer to Him now than I was when I started coming to church every week 20 years ago. Makes me feel a whole lot better when I can point fingers at you. I look at them and, and wonder, why are they not doing this? Why, why don't they uh, do this or do that? And it makes me feel better about the fact that I have been a Christian for years and I've never shared the gospel with another person. Or if I have, it's been a long time since I've opened my mouth. I can fixate on the issues and the sins in the life of another. Maybe someone has stepped outside of marriage or someone has uh, committed some public sin that's out there and, and I can look at them and I can say, hey, I've got an answer to fix your problem, but on the secret, in, in the inside, I'm dealing with the problem that nobody else knows about. And it makes me feel good. It, it helps me to overlook my issues when I can fix my eyes on yours. Number two, because when I can tear others down, I can build me up. I want you to think about this. Jesus says that hate is murder. Amen. If hate is murder, then our criticisms have provided a mountain of dead bodies for us to climb to the top. Every time we cut somebody down, Every time we criticize somebody, every time we find fault and, and we spew hatred towards them, we've left a mass of dead bodies that are just heaping and heaping and heaping up. And every time I slay you because of your faults, I get to step up on top of you. Through my criticism, I can become the king of the hill in my own eyes. Listen, we need to look at these verses from another perspective because what we sometimes don't understand is that these verses are not really about others. These verses are about you. <laughs> don't look at these verses and say, well, maybe I shouldn't care about the speck if there's a log. No, what he's saying is, 
There's a log in your eye. Don't do anything before you take care of that. Why does Jesus jump? I, I want you to think about this. He doesn't go in a small increment. He doesn't say a speck in a stick or a speck in a twig. I mean, he leaps. He goes from a tiny particle of wood to a huge beam that supports it, uh, the weight of an entire building. He goes from a little splinter to an entire log. Why such a large jump? Because Jesus wants us to consider the magnitude of our own sin. You see, a speck may irritate them, or a speck may irritate us, but a beam might destroy you. So why do you care about something that is an irritant to them, but you're overlooking a path of death that you've allowed to stay hidden in your own life? Listen, Satan wants to destroy you. Satan is not a mystical creature. He's not a mythical creature. He's not make-believe. He's real. Amen. And he has an agenda. He has a plan. And his agenda and plan is set against God and is set against the people of God. Amen. Right. If he has found a place in your life, if he's found the, the weak spot in your armor, and he has set in, you've given place to the devil, and he has rooted in a, a sinfulness in your life, that, that you're struggling with and you can't get a hold of. The greatest weapon that he has against you is for you to get so used to that sin being there that you just start overlooking it. It becomes a part of who you are. And I think that's a problem if we dig into this illustration here. This person has become so used to the beam, the log that's sticking out of their own eye. It's, they've become so used to it that it's just become a part of who they are. They don't even notice it anymore. And so they, they're hypercritical of others, but they, they're completely oblivious to this thing that is damaging their own lives. And if Satan can get you so used to sin... And so used to strongholds and addictions in your life, if He can get you so used to it that you don't give any thought to your own problems, I want you to understand He can destroy your life. He can destroy your testimony. He can destroy your marriage. He can destroy your family. He can destroy your job. He can destroy your, your reputation. He can destroy... Everything about He can render you so useless in the kingdom of God. So Jesus says, listen, there's a place for judgment. But you have no right, you have no place to even consider the lives of others or the thoughts of others until you dealt with your own issues. Listen, if this is the kingdom of righteousness... We have no business worrying about the righteousness of others until we've dealt with the sins of self. Now, that leads us to the third and final part of this, and that is the solution. 
Now, Jesus doesn't just present the problem. He presents the solution as well. And I want us to look at that in verse 5. Look at verse 5 with me in chapter 7. It says, he says, You hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of your own eye, and then you shall see clearly enough to cast out the moat out of your brother's eye. Jesus said that before we can see others correctly, we need to have eye surgery. Listen, the fact that Jesus uses the eye in this illustration, it is significant. Because the eye was viewed as the window into the heart, mind, and soul. And so the eye greatly affects the heart. Our mind, our desires, our emotions, our decisions are greatly affected by what we see with the eye. Therefore, the beam in the eye was really a sin obstructing the heart. It has nothing to do with literal vision. It has everything to do with where your heart is. He says we need to have eye surgery. Now what I want you to understand this morning is that this surgery requires the work of two individuals. There, there are two. If you had to have a surgery in, in your life, not too long ago I had my gallbladder removed. And guess what? There were at least two people involved in this surgery. Number one, I had to talk to a surgeon, right? Well, number two, I had to show up, didn't I? And so without me, there was no gallbladder to remove. Without the surgeon, there was no precise hands to, that I definitely didn't want to do it myself. And so there were two people involved, me and the surgeon. And the same is true with this surgery that Jesus speaks about here. Jesus says that before we help others, we must first engage in the surgery of removing the beam from our eyes. So the first person that has to be here for this surgery is you. Notice how many times in this verses he says you. He says the word you. He points back to the sins of yourself. He says, why do you look at the speck in their eye when you have a beam in your own? And why are you trying to remove their problems when you have your own problems? So he says, first, you get rid of your issues, and then you can go help them. There are more times the word you is used than the word them. And so you are the first person in this scenario. You are the first person that has to be a part of this removal of the beam from your eye. Now, although we are a part of this process we have to also understand that this is not something we can do alone. Because if we could do it alone, we'd have already done it, right? If we could do it alone, then he would just give us a five-step plan on how to remove the beam from your eye, but he didn't do that. We can't. It is physically and spiritually impossible for us to do this work ourselves. Now, we're involved. We have to be willing. We have to lay on the table but someone else has to be involved. Who can do this? Who can remove this great sin and these great obstacles from our lives? Well, thankfully, we know the great physician. Listen, the great physician doesn't only do work on the body. He's also able to heal the soul. He is the supreme cardiologist. If you'll let him, if you'll submit to him, if you'll place yourself on the table for surgery, he can and will help to remove that obstacle from your heart. 
that sin that's been besetting you. And once we have been through the surgery ourselves, then we are able to gently, patiently, and lovingly assist our brothers. Again, judgment is in the right position and the right motives. Correction is not the problem here. Jesus didn't say don't correct people. He didn't say don't, don't approach or confront sin. That's not what he said at all. Correction is not the issue. The problem is when we pick at the faults of others while overlooking our own. Jesus calls such a person a hypocrite. And in the Gospels, Jesus has no respect for a hypocrite. Perhaps this is why the most common excuse for people staying out of church is because there's too many hypocrites. Because when they walk into a church building, there is a group of people that are leaping over their own sins in order to help fix theirs. They don't want any part of it. Listen, I want to make a statement, and I want you to listen carefully to it. Sinners should not always feel comfortable in church. But sinners should always feel welcomed. Right. Truth hurts, and truth's going to confront sin. And so sinners should not always feel comfortable in church, but they should always feel welcomed. God wants them here. We should want them here. Do we have some Christians that need a surgery today? Have you been staring at the problems of others while overlooking your own? Do you find yourself constantly criticizing the decision and actions of others while secretly you're struggling with your own issues? If so, let me tell you about a great physician I know about. Uh, he can fix any problem. Doesn't matter how big, how delicate. He is a great physician, and if you will make daily visits to him, he can remove the problems in your own life so that you're better able to help the problems of others. Not only will he give you a new way of looking at others, but I want you to understand this. He'll change the reasons why you want to help them. Well, there's a lot of people we want to help, but we want to help so that they can become our stepping stone to higher ground. But if we'll go to the great physician, he'll remove our issues. He'll, he'll give us a, a new heart. Amen. He'll give us a new desire. And the reason why we want to help others and why we, we want to be an encouragement to the lives of others is, is not to build ourselves up, but to build Christ up and to build them up. Amen. Has God spoken to your heart this morning? Has He issued a command... Has He revealed His will about your life? If He has, will you do it? Will you obey? Will you respond? I hope that you will. Let's stand. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Heavenly Father, You know the hearts of those that are here this morning. God, my words are nothing, but Your words are eternal. And I pray that as Your Word has been presented, as the truth has been preached, as Your Spirit has convicted God, as you have made your will known in the lives of your people here today, I pray that we will be obedient and that we will do whatever it is 
that you've laid on our heart to do. Thank you so much for Christ. Thank you that, number one, through his blood on the cross, through his resurrection from the dead, he has given salvation and new life to us. And, God, I'm thankful that on the basis of that blood, that when we sin, we can go to him for forgiveness, and that he does stand before you and uh, he advocates on our behalf. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here today that has strayed from you, that you would convict their heart, help them repent of sin. Lord, help them to come to you for cleansing and uh, rejuvenation. And God, I pray that uh, you would just uh, work in their lives. And uh, Lord, whatever it is uh, that you're working in hearts about this morning, help us to respond accordingly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As the song plays, heads bowed, eyes closed. Perhaps God has spoken to you today about judgmental attitudes, hyper-criticism. Maybe you've been blinded to your own faults, overlooking your own problems, jumping over your own sin, and trying to give a hand to others. And Jesus is just tenderly and Lovingly saying to you today, you've got to get fixed first yourself. Will you come to Him for cleansing? Will you go to Him for forgiveness and strength? Will you dedicate your life to Him? Ask Him to make you anew? If you can, God's Word tells us that He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Will you go to Him today? Maybe there's something else that God's been working on your heart about. Maybe there's some other leadership that He's placed in your life, some command that He's given you. Would you be obedient to that this morning? Would you respond to God's will for your life? As the music plays, I'll give you silence, and as the Spirit speaks to your heart, would you just simply say yes? Yes.